it's New Life Church. Thank you for joining us. Today we start a new sermon series in the book of Philippians, a journey of a joyful life. If you would turn there with me, please, in your Bibles. Today we're just going to be looking at the first 11 verses in this wonderful um, book in the New Testament, and hopefully go through into the summer with this delightful epistle in the New Testament. Uh, I think in this book there's a, there's a wonderful note of joy and thanksgiving that runs throughout this entire epistle. And yet, as you know, this is one of the so-called prison epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison. Um, this letter was written to the saints at Philippi. And if you have a map in your Bible, you will find it was situated up in a Roman colony in the area of Macedonia. Um, it was the first place that Paul preached the gospel in Europe. You may remember the thrilling account in the book of Acts when we went through the book of Acts together in chapter 16. Paul and Silas, as they came to Macedonia, in answer to the Macedonian call, they ultimately ended up in a, in a prison cell. And then in the middle of the night, they were singing praises to the Lord, and an earthquake came and shook the prison walls, and, and they were delivered. As someone has well put it, the gospel first entered Europe in a, in a sacred concert, which was so successful, it brought down the house. <laughs> so we have a, tremendous, uh, a tremendously interesting background to this letter to the Philippians. And I remember as a young adult being taught this epistle in the same way that we are going to try and teach it through the next 10 weeks. Uh, we'll be teaching this epistle verse by verse, in other words, in an expositional format. And I'm convinced that expository preaching is the, is the best way to teach a Bible because it, it naturally lets God speak what He has spoken and emphasizes what He desires to be emphasized. In other words, expositional preaching Let's the Word of God speak for itself. And I would encourage you all to read the passage beforehand each week so that you can come to church ready and prepared to hear what God has to say. And while I was going through my old Bible looking at the notes I, that I had made in Philippians, I was reminded of an acronym that really helps summarize this, this book of Philippians. Um, so please write this down in your Bible. It's the acronym J-O-Y, JOY, that summarizes the whole book of Philippians. And what that stands for, simply, Jesus, others, and you. Jesus, others, and you. Now, remember last week we had finished the book of Habakkuk. And there in chapter 3, verse 18, it tells us, the prophet saying, despite his circumstances, despite the affliction he knows that they will face, he says in verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We spoke a lot about joy in the book of Habakkuk, and I think Philippians tells us how we can have this joy in and through Jesus Christ. The book is about Christ in our life, Christ in our mind, Christ as our goal, Christ as our strength and joy through suffering. 
It was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome about 30 years after Christ's ascension and about 10 years after Paul first preached at Philippi. As I said, today we're going to start this book by studying together the first 11 verses. And if you would stand with me, we will read those verses together. The title of my sermon today is Partners in the Gospel. Partners in the Gospel. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do expect great things from you through this series. We ask, Lord, please, Lord, that you would teach us how we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Christ Jesus, to the glory and the praise of God. We ask, Lord, that you would change us. We pray for change and nothing less, Lord, in our own hearts, in our own minds, even in the way that we act, in the way that we respond, in the way that we serve together as a church, in the way that we love each other, in the way that we love the lost. We pray, Lord, please, for change in our, in our thinking and our and our response is that we may be fruitful Christians for the glory of God. We ask for your help, Lord, and we pray that you would do a wonderful work amongst us, conform us, and change us to be more like your Son, Jesus. We pray for your help today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So early on Monday morning, I reached Mumbai, and then I drove four hours by taxi to a city called Nasik. Thank you to all who had prayed for my, my journey. And the reason I had made this trip to Nasik was to visit the saints at Nasik Baptist Church, where Kerry and I had ministered for six years before coming to the UAE. We had heard news that a member of this church had, had died in a tragic suicide attempt. And I had met Shaul almost 20 years ago when we first arrived in India. Shaul was one of the students I was teaching at a Bible college, a villi village close to Kolapur. And Shaul was eager to learn. He was an eager student, quick to, quick to learn. And we became good friends. And before I knew it, Shaul was 
joining me in preaching assignments and helping me translate from English into Marathi. And Shul ended up working for Aletheia Publications, which is our printing and translation, translation ministry, which we still have in, in India. And he became a member of uh, Nashik Baptist Church, and he helped plant the church there that is still going today, where Pastor Nilesh is pastoring. Uh, Shul was loved by everyone, and he was very intentional in making gospel-centered relationships. And while I was back in Nasik, I spent a lot of time listening to, to other church members talk about Shul and remembering him and remembering his struggles and his joys that he, that he faced. And Shul had two children that grew up with, with my children. Um, he has a son that's one year older than Ezra and a daughter that is one year older than Eden. They were always in our home. And we had laughed and cried together remembering Shaw. And I was reminded again how important relationships are. You know, relationships matter. Relationships matter. God created human beings for relationships. And even from the very beginning, before sin had spoiled the, the perfection of creation in the Garden of Eden, God identified only one thing that was not good. And that was Adam's solitude. We see in Genesis 2.18 that it was not good that Adam was alone. And our yearning for relationships runs so deep that scientists and sociologists have observed that we literally die without relational attachments. But in what kind of relationships should we be seeking? That is the question we need to be asking. How do we go about building deep, intentional relationships. Well, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, the apostle gives us a glimpse into the church that he had deep, close, intentional relationships with. And although the Philippians have struggles, they also have challenges that we will explore over the course of the sermon series. We begin in verse 1 to verse 11 with a peek into the way Paul approaches the people, the partnerships, and prayer. And my first point this morning is found in verse 1 to verse 3. Paul's thanksgiving to God is for the people in the Philippian church. In chapter 1 verse 1, we see the author that is identified of the book of Philippians. We see that the author is the apostle Paul, probably with the help of Timothy, his scribe. And we see, secondly, in the same verse, who the letter is written to. Look at verse 1. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Notice here, the Christians, the born-again believers, are the ones who are called saints. The saints who are set apart for God or sanctified by the Spirit. In the Roman Catholic Church, a saint is a title given to someone who has been formally canonized by the church after living an exceptional holy life and being able to perform miracles. And you hear about St. George and St. Um, Nicholas and St. Thomas and all those. But this is not a biblical meaning of a saint. A saint describes all people who follow Jesus Christ, all people who are believers, who are Christians. If you like, you can call yourself or your wife, St. David, St. Dina, if you want. If you are believers, you, that is your title, okay? 
We are saints in the Lord. Saint Pedro, there we go. <laughs> All believers are set apart for God and are sanctified by His Spirit. We also see in the first verse that this letter is also addressed to the ministers or the church officers. Look at verse 1. With the overseers and deacons. So another word for overseers is elders or pastors. We've looked at that quite frequently in the book of Timothy. And the office of a, of a pastor was to teach and to lead. And the deacons were to take care of the outward business of the church. And notice that Paul mentions the church before the ministers. And I think that's significant because the ministers are for the church. The ministers are for their edification. They are for the church's benefit. But also notice that Paul acknowledges the leaders of this church while he, he downplays his own apostolic authority. He describes himself in Timothy not as, not as an apostle or a father of the church. He describes himself in Timothy as servants, servants of Jesus Christ. And the word servant is literally translated as, as slave, slaves of Jesus. And what's interesting, I think, here is that when we, we think about relationships often, we think about relationships in terms of people who are dependent on us, isn't it? We feel better when more people think that we are needed or that we are irreplaceable. And Paul looks at this church really as a success because he's not flaunting here his apostolic credentials. He's really lifting up the credentials, the qualified overseers, and the deacons that are in the midst of this Philippian church. And the goal for Paul and his relationships with them from the very beginning, remember, it's been 10 years since he's been there, has been for this very thing, for them to be established in a healthy place. And as we're going to see in this series, they have, they have issues. They're not a perfect church. They have problems. They have challenges, just like any other church. But they are a healthy church nonetheless, and Paul is rejoicing over this. And so we've got the author, we've got the recipient, and the final thing we have is a greeting here in verse 1 and 2. Typically, you're supposed to say just greetings to somebody. Paul doesn't do that. Paul is not typical. He says, he says grace to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one commentator says, grace is the fuel. Grace is the foundation. And peace is the result. And I think that is true. I think this greeting is also similar to the, the Hebrew greeting. Remember the word shalom. And the word shalom means not just the absence of, of violence and conflict, but the presence of prosperity and flourishing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. So right away, right from the beginning, we see that these people are very dear to the Apostle Paul. These people are very important to this Apostle. This relationship is incredibly critical to Paul, but not for the reasons that we might think, not in the way that, that we would usually think about relationships. He doesn't ask 
us to look at these relationships in the manner that, that normally we would. Instead, what Paul says is we shouldn't look at relationships for our own sake, for our own benefits. We should look at them really as a means to an ultimate end. And he's going to tell us what this ultimate end is. What Paul is saying is that rather than thinking just about relationships, we need to look at what he calls a partnership. A partnership. It's not just people. And we can just spend all of our time with people and we can, we can love people and we can be very busy. But he says actually what we're talking about, the reason that Paul and the Philippians are so close is because of the gospel partnerships that they share. The gospel partnerships that they share. Look at what he says in verses 4 through 8. My second point, we see Paul's thanksgiving to God for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. And Paul clarifies exactly what he is thankful for. Look at verse 4 to 5. Paul writes, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's thanksgiving is filled with joy. It's filled with joy. Why? Well, he tells us because of their partnership that is in the gospel from the first day until now. It's not because they were nice people, not because they served wonderful shawamas or biryani. It's because of their partnership in the gospel. The word partnership is often translated as, as fellowship in the New Testament. But what exactly does the word mean? Well, in the first century, the word fellowship had commercial implications. It was a word used when two people had joined together in a commercial enterprise. It even had the connotation of a, of a fi financial commitment, a financial agreement. Um, say John and, and Harry had bought a, a fishing boat to start a, a fishing business. It would be said that they entered into fellowship or partnership. There was a shared commitment to this enterprise. D.A. Carson, Christian author, he says, The heart of true fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Christian fellowship is self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy, but the heart of the matter is this shared vision of what is of transcendent importance, a vision that calls forth our commitment. Paul thanks God for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. By that he means that from the day of their conversion, from the day of their conversion until the present time, they were involved with each other as they served together for the sake of the gospel in some way to advance the gospel. And we know the Philippians were still involved with the Apostle Paul's ministry because they they took offerings and they supported his ministry financially so that he could continue to minister throughout the world. And they prayed for Paul. They sent Paul money so that he could continue to preach the gospel and they continued to evangelize their families and their friends in Philippi. The gospel was central in their lives. 
And Paul is saying that our partnership in the gospel is far superior to any other earthly fellowship or any other community for that matter. You see, we are joined together by the blood of Christ. We are joining God by participating in the greatest campaign ever waged, that of gathering and perfecting the saints. And I know some of us belong to different groups and different cultural um, get-togethers, and nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, these are just groups. These are not partnerships in the gospel. And I think what Paul is teaching us is that our, our greatest relationships need to be with people who we partner with for the sake of the gospel. Biblical fellowship is far more than just a potluck gathering. Biblical fellowship is far more than, than having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a meal. I mean, it's good to break bread together. I'm not saying it's wrong. We're doing that tonight, aren't we? But biblical fellowship is far more than, than friends, far more than even warm friendship. Biblical fellowship is a partnership in the gospel. It is joining with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to serve, to pray, and to give the gospel to those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when they do become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, biblical fellowship, according to 2 Peter 3.18, is helping brothers and sisters grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is one of the reasons, the main reasons, the elders are convinced we need to move back to the zoo so that we could be better at discipling others, that we can be more fruitful and intentional when it comes to sharing the gospel with the people in our community, so that we can come alongside them and help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church is not just a Sunday event, folks, and we forget about our partnership for the rest of the week. We stay closer together so that we can come alongside each other and evangelize those in our neighborhoods and share Christ with them, invite them to church and help them grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ, just like the Philippian church was doing. The church at Philippi had a gospel partnership with Paul and they labored alongside of him because they wanted the same thing that Paul wanted. They wanted a better music ministry. They wanted to see people turn from sin and darkness to worship the living and true God. They loved the gospel. They wanted Jesus Christ to be proclaimed. They wanted Jesus Christ to be magnified as the only hope for sinners. It wasn't a hope that's in vain. He says he has reason for it in verse 7. Look there. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. In other words, you are all fellowshippers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment during the bad times, but also in the good times, in the preaching of the gospel and the, the confirmation of the gospel, when we've seen it lived out in our, in our midst, when we've had to defend it in our midst. He says, I had this right to feel this way about you. Not only that, but one day, someday when Jesus returns, all of this is going to be completed. 
We're not laboring in vain. We're not playing for the, the losing team. This is not just something to pass the time. But one day, on the last day, on the day of Jesus Christ, when the judge of all the earth comes to judge the world and to bring his people home into glory, he says in verse 6, look there at verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. He's not talking about himself here, who started this work. He's talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God who is with these Philippian saints. The people that Paul focuses on are beloved. He loves them dearly because they are, are all together for the sake of the gospel. Not because they were more attractive. Not because they had fewer problems. Not because there was less brokenness. Not because they came from wealthier backgrounds and they had a lot more to, to offer Paul and his ministry. He wasn't looking at their gifts. He wasn't looking at their talents. He was looking at the partnership, the fellowship, the commonality that they enjoyed in seeking to spread the glory of Jesus Christ in their city and to the ends of the earth. Sounds similar to what the Lord said to Habakkuk, remember? What Habakkuk said to the people who were going to be in exile soon. And I realize again from my trip to India, you know, my relationship with, with Nasik Baptist Church and especially my relationship with Shaw was, was deep because of our partnership in the gospel. You know, Shaw started his own ministry on, on Facebook to promote the work of the church. He started translating into Marathi, different quotes from gospel preachers, and he, he put a little graphic together and he posted them on his own Facebook page. And he started getting a lot of followers, and his site became very popular. But he wasn't doing this for himself. He was doing it to promote the gospel ministry of the church. He wasn't asked to do it. He wasn't given an official title to do this. He wanted to serve the church. He wanted to see people come to faith in Christ. And eventually this site of his became very popular. And he was eventually noticed by a large translation ministry in India. And Shaw was asked to join them and help translate the Bible into Marathi. And he was busy in the book of Mark when, when he died. And Shaw always struggled with his emotions. He wasn't perfect. He always had problems that needed counseling. He and his wife were often in our homes and other members' homes receiving counsel and help. But the reason we loved him so much was not because of his personality or because he had problems, but because we both strive for the same thing, for Jesus Christ to be proclaimed and magnified as the only hope for sinners. And as we think about our relationships here at, at New Life Church, we need to go deep. We need to go deep. Relationships matter. We need deep relationships. You know, often in any church, one of the, the ongoing repeated themes of, of discontent is, well, I just don't know many people. I've heard that so many times. I just don't feel connected. I just feel lonely. 
And, and it's not just us. This is in every church. But the question I often ask is, if you're feeling like that, why? Are you being intentional about relationships? Are you serving alongside other believers in the church? Are you part of a discipleship group? Are you part of a youth group? Are you part of a, a ladies' prayer group or a, or a home group where you can pray together, where you can study God's Word together, where you can share your joys and your struggles together? Please don't be content with being an isolated Christian. Don't be a spectator. Relationships matter. It takes work, just like any family relationships do. But it is worth it at the end of the day if they are centered around the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I take a moment here to recommend a new study that we will be doing at our family Bible hour soon. And the book study we'll be doing is called The Compelling Community. The author is Jamie Dunlop and Mark Dever. I'd like to encourage all of you to attend at 9 a.m. on Sundays. 9 a.m. And the whole book is about authentic fellowship in the local church that is based on gospel partnerships. And the author says on page 119, After all, people are eternal. Everything else will pass away. The lasting work of the church is the relational work of the church. But not any relationships will do. We need to build spiritually intentional relationships. The New Testament describes how Christians are to confront, to encourage, to discipline, to confess, and, and so forth. In the church, we want to see relationships where it is normal to talk about spiritual things. Not where conversation is never about football or kids or politics, but where a conversation with no spiritual grounding would be unusual. Again, we need to have these deep relationships, not these superficial relationships that we, we seem to have just because we, we manage to get in the door at 10 15 on a Sunday and, and leave as quickly as we can as soon as the service is finished. How do we build deep relationships like that, folks? Are we partnered together for the sake of the gospel? The way we get to know people intimately is through gospel partnerships, by praying together, by coming alongside each other. And that's what Paul says in the rest of the passage here in verse 9 to 11. His prayer to God for the Philippians. And, and notice this prayer that he prays here. Look at verse 9. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Or in knowledge and all discernment. And what Paul's saying here is, look, I'm praying that your love is going to grow. And when he says this, he's acknowledging something very important here. That this supernatural love is not, is not natural. It is supernatural. Of course, there's a natural kind of love. God, by His common grace, gives all people everywhere the ability to, to love one another, to love our spouse and our children and, and our friends and family. The love that Paul is talking about here is not a normal kind of love. It's not a natural kind of love. It's a supernatural kind of love that requires the grace of God. Without the grace of God, it is impossible. 
And so he says the way this is going to happen, first and foremost, is with knowledge. Knowledge. Through knowledge, God will cause your love to abound. And the knowledge he's talking about is a Bible knowledge. It is sitting under the Word of God, being instructed by it, being trained to understand what is good and what is not good, what is evil and what is not evil. Trained to understand what God wants and what He doesn't, what He loves and what He hates. We have to be a Bible people. We have to be a people saturated in God's Word, trained in the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ through His Word. But not only that, but he also says at the end of verse 9, look there, the word discernment is used. And again, this isn't just a normal, normal wisdom. Anybody can study the Bible. But to relate to God through the Bible is a spiritual gift. And the same thing is true for discernment. Discernment doesn't just happen. Discernment is a gift. The Bible doesn't address absolutely every issue that we we have in our lives. It doesn't help us make every decision in a, in a direct kind of way. The Bible doesn't tell us you should, you should take this job and, and not that job, or you should marry this person and you shouldn't marry this person. But the Bible does give us wisdom and discernment. The Spirit of God helps us to decide which decisions please God more. He gives us His Spirit to help us discern in our lives in trying to make the right choices in the situations we find ourselves with. I've just seen so many people make bad decisions that impact their lives, that impact their, their families, because they just haven't been wise, because they haven't been under the teaching of God's Word. They make these decisions in their own understanding, and they face terrible consequences because of it. And so Paul says, as this love and as this discernment grows, as you sit under the Word, as you hear the preaching of the Word, as you study the Word on a daily basis, Paul says, I pray, look at verse 10, that your love may abound more and more. What Paul is doing is giving us hope. God causes both learning and love to work together as we as we study His Word. He causes love to grow in us as He reorients our, our thinking and our, and our heart to, to want what is good, which is where He goes next. Look at the very end of verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Look at verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. Where all of this is going, where all this is looking, is the, is the fruit of righteousness. That's what Paul is praying for, for the Philippian church, for fruit. That we will love what's good, what's pure. That we will love what is excellent. That we will approve what's excellent and be pure and and blameless for the day of Christ as this fruit grows in our lives. This requires God to give the growth. And that's why Paul is praying for this. And that's why the elders pray 
this for you every time we meet. We're not praying just so that people will, will get together and, and have different programs and just to keep people busy and to give people a, a UAE experience. That's not our goal, folks, as a church. Our goal is for this fruit of righteousness. At the end of the day, Paul says, we have to be diligent in our prayers because only God can give this kind of fruit of righteousness. And Paul knew that one of the most important, most essential, and most loving things that we can do for one another is to pray for each other. Are we doing this? Are we praying for each other? I wonder sometimes if the attendance of our corporate prayer meeting is an indicator of the, the health of our church. For those of you who don't know, we meet every first Sunday at 9 a.m. before church starts to pray for each other. And it is the worst meeting attended by far. We have a handful of people that come. Does it mean that we don't care for each other? Does it mean that, that we're not concerned about praying for the lost? Does it mean that we're not concerned about partnering and praying together for the sake of the gospel? Does it mean that's not a priority for, for New Life Church? I hope that's not true. I hope that you are praying for the growth of love in our congregation. I hope you're praying for us to be growing in our knowledge and our love for the gospel. I hope you're praying for the gospel to go forward. I hope you're praying for people to become believers in Christ Jesus. I hope you're praying for our missionaries as they, as they share the gospel. I hope you're praying for believers to grow in Christ, for each of us to be involved in, in some active way to advance the gospel. I hope that you're praying for us as a church to be partnering together for the sake of the gospel, for deep relationships with, with each other that, that yearn for the affection of Christ. I found a story, it, it's really, it's, it's funny, but it, it would be funny if it wasn't so sad that I'm going to share with you about some friends that went deer hunting and they paired off in twos for the day. And that night, one hunter returned alone, dragging an eight-point buck. And his friend said to him, where's Harry? And Harry had, his friend replied, Harry had a, a stroke of some kind, and he's a couple of miles back up the trail. And his friend said, you left Harry lying there and carried the deer back? And his friend said, well, I figured no one was going to steal Harry. I mean, it, it, it would be funny if it wasn't so true, you know. The Lord often shared parables with, with worldly meanings to help us understand spiritual truths. But I think there's a parable here. I think the deer represents the world, doesn't it? And Harry represents relationships. And sometimes the world is more important to us 
that deer is more important for us, and we'll take the effort, and we'll take the time to drag this deer back and, and ditch what is important to the Lord, what is eternal to the Lord, people. We'll pursue those things that don't matter to the Lord, things that are not precious to Him, things that are not eternal. We won't be involved in ministry. It takes too much of our time. We won't serve each other because I'm so busy doing other things. I'm so busy with my studies. I'm so busy with my work. There's too much effort. I don't have enough time. Whatever excuse is there. We ditch Harry. And we take the world with us because the world is more important. Folks, one of the reasons we need to understand why God has saved us is so that we will be fruitful Christians for God's glory. He has not saved us just so that we'll be free from judgment, just so that we can go to heaven when we die. He has saved us so the character of Jesus Christ might be reproduced in us while we, we're still on this earth as the scripture says there, to the glory and the praise of God. And that is why we gather together, folks, as a church. That's why we are a fellowship of believers. Why we are the gathering of saints. That's why we covenant together so that we can live our lives to the glory and the praise of God. So that people can see Christ in us and through us. So that we can share the gospel with those who are lost. So that they can join us in this eternal pursuit of glorifying God and the praise of our Savior. Now John Piper said it well, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Let it count for something both now and for all eternity. My brother Shaw was 41 years old. 41 years old. It was a short-lived life. But it wasn't a wasted life. It was not a wasted life. He loved God. He loved others intentionally. And he invested his life in gospel partnerships. If you are not a Christian here today, if you've never repented of your sins, you've never turned to Christ in, in faith, what I've said today probably hasn't made any sense to you. Maybe you've been in such a rush to running after the things of this world, not quite knowing where you're going. You've neglected all types of intentional relationships, especially spiritual ones. And maybe you've been living under a dark cloud of disappointment and disillusionment. And maybe you've been robbed of this joy that I have described today that can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of these deep intentional gospel relationships we've spoken about here today start with the, the most important relationship that anybody can ever have. And that is the relationship with Jesus Christ. The joy that is described here in this passage today and the joy that you need can only be found in a relationship 
with the creator of this universe. The very God who sent his son to reconcile you to himself. And he calls you today to himself. He calls you today to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To believe in his death and his burial and his resurrection. If you've never made that commitment to follow Christ and entered into a relationship with your creator, please do that today for God's glory and to the praise of God. Let's pray. Father, I think of that poem, one life to live, it will soon be past, but what we do for Christ will last. Please, Lord, help us not to waste our lives, help us not to waste the opportunities that you give us as a church. I still remember Elder Cole, who was here a few years back, who stood up and encouraged the church and told them, the day you arrive at New Life Church is the day your clock starts ticking. Lord, we all have a clock ticking the minute we arrive in the UAE. We can't stay here forever, Lord. We can't take that for granted. We need to be intentional with the time that you've given us, Lord. We need to make the most of the time that you've given us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not. Forgive us, Lord, for the time that we have wasted running after the things of the world, pursuing things that do not matter to you. Forgive us, Lord, for that, for being caught up with worldly pleasures, things that we think bring us joy, but only bring us despair. Lord, please fix our hearts on Jesus, we pray, that we would be filled with the Spirit of God, that we as a church will be fruitful Christians for the glory and the praise of God. That we would be believers filled with much joy, fulfilling the very purpose for which you have saved us. So Lord, we pray for your help. Help us to be fruitful. Help us to be joyful. And help us to be praising you wherever we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.